Thanks for tuning in. The following audio is from Redemption Church, located in the heart of San Francisco, California. We are a multi-ethnic intergenerational church that exists to make disciples. For more information, visit www.redemptionsf.com. Let's go to James chapter 1. And um, this morning, this is a message that, uh, that I need to hear. Uh, and I think, you know, we've already heard about uh, a God that is for the broken. And, and that's what we were saying, make us more like you. That May we be more for the broken. Uh, there, there's an image of Christianity that it's somehow for the strong, that, that you can't be vulnerable, that you can't be transparent, you can't be uh, broken if you're a believer. And that is ludicrous. Jesus came for broken people and only broken people. Uh, so, you know, before communion, I always say, if you think you've got it together, if that is your foundation upon which you're taking the, uh, participating in the body and blood of Jesus, that you've got it wrong. And so this morning, we're going to get, uh, we're going to get a little dirty, um, into this, this passage because James is writing to the church during a time, um, that the church is suffering. Uh, they are dispersed, to, it's to the 12 tribes and the dispersion, um, they, have, they have been displaced, they've lost home, there's nothing certain in their lives, and these are the words uh, that James dumps on them uh, right at the beginning of James chapter 1. We can begin reading verse 2. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. And God's people said, what? For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith, with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of a sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He's a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation. Again, we say, what? (laughs) Because like a flower of the grass, he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass. Its flowers falls and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. But blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life which God has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he's being tempted, I'm being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he's lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it's fully grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creation. Brothers and sisters, this is the very word of God. Let's go to God in prayer. Father, we pray this morning that you would open our hearts that you would open our minds, that you would help us to see that through the pain and through the suffering and through the sleepless nights and through the worrying and the anxiety, through it all, O oh God, you have purpose. 
you are not somehow distant, uh, somehow weak, unable to bring rescue and, and blessing in the midst of trials. But, oh God, you are working it all for your glory and for the good of those who love you and those who are in Christ Jesus. But, God, I pray this morning that you would help us to see a bit how, that you would give us a path to Jesus that you would open our minds to think new thoughts and, and maybe old thoughts in different ways, that we might see a different side of, uh, of the diamond and, 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 and see a glare and a light that maybe we've not seen before and maybe some might see for the first time and we might be endeared to the one who is the Lord Jesus Christ, the Savior, the King, the Lord, the Master, the Friend, the Brother. Draw us to him and him only. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Three weeks ago today uh, was a tough day for me and my family. Uh, my mother's been suffering from dementia for several years now, but the last several months have been rough. And so rough, mind you, that I had to uh, check my mother, my 84-year-old um, little frail mother, into a geriatric psych unit in a hospital. Um, I, I did because her dementia has not been making her kind and nice and calm, and, but it's been making her really mean and even having psychotic, violent episodes. That was at the end, I guess we could say, or it was in the kind of present moment of 18 to 20 months of uh, a little stress in our lives, uh, recreating how we do church. Uh, a church that we planted several years ago, trying to, to, trying to uh, make decisions, it felt like daily, and uh, new decisions and new challenges coming in, and, and, and in the midst of uh, a worldwide pandemic, in the midst of um, a financial crisis, in the midst of a um, of, of civil rights moment, uh, kind of culminating in, uh, at least from the African-American community, um, seeing the, the underbelly of what has always existed in this country, but the reality that we saw it for minutes upon minutes as George Floyd's life was just pressed out of him. We saw it in the Asian community and, and, and all the that kind of the underbelly of what our Asian brothers and sisters have always known is the reality of living in this country uh, as Asian brothers and sisters. Um, and that's all just on top of the daily stuff of life. And James has the nerve to come to me and come to you and say, count it all joy. When you face trials of many kinds, and we say, what? because I don't want any, this doesn't feel joyful, and I can't see how it's going to produce joy. And that is yet where God's people were to whom James is writing. And I love it. Why? Because that's the struggle of life. That's the, that's the opportunity that we have in this season of, of, of the history of, of our lives to really see something different, to, to capture some wisdom that maybe we didn't have before, and, and to walk away more steadfast, more mature in our, our, our faith, deeper in our faith. That is the hope that we have, and that's the hope that James gives us. Why? Because he doesn't just give us the command, count it all joy. He reminds us that something's happened to us. 
In, in verse 18, he said, Of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. The, the Greek words translated there, brought us forth, means to be brought into being as something newly created. Friends, if you are a Christian in this room, and I don't presume that all are, but if you're a Christian in this room, what James is saying is something's happened to you. Something, something divine has happened to you. You have been born again from the inside out, and you have the ability, you have a power now in the midst of suffering to see something and to think differently, to have a different perspective than those who have not been born again or made new or been recreated from the inside out. And if you're not a believer here this morning, I, I would really challenge you to listen. Why? Because this is a tremendous benefit. Th this would be one of those enticements that I would want to give you uh, to, to say, hey, you might consider the, uh, Jesus' claims and you might consider um, the, re the reality of Christianity and the hope that it promises you because, because we have indeed, through the new birth in Jesus Christ, a, a power... Um, a different perspective, wisdom, is what James is referring to it as, that others don't have. And so that's what I want us to see this morning. Now, here's the first thing that we've got to see is that God-gifted wisdom sees values in the midst of trials. We don't just, we're not just in the midst of lament, and we need to lament. James is not saying have some giddiness. Don't have, in, 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 in the South, we call it southern niceness, you know. Well, you're just saying, oh, everything's happy, everything's wonderful when everything's not wonderful. No, that is not what James is saying. He is telling us that, that indeed we need to have wisdom that in the midst of our grief, in the midst of our lamenting, we have hope and we can, can have deep joy. Let me, let me illustrate it like this. We have a very gifted high school teacher. He's the head of a history department in um, urban school in Memphis. He just won the James Madison Fellow and spent a week. Uh, he was one of, um, well, he was the only history teacher in the state of Tennessee. The uh, James Madison Foundation chose uh, one teacher in, in every state and brought him uh, for a month um, to D.C. And Daniel Warner is um, the young man that's in our congregation. And uh, he, he posted something interesting on Facebook recently. He said, a lot of my students uh, through the years have told me, um, have really challenged my giving them homework. Uh, and what they typically say is, hey, I, I don't get any benefit out of homework. It doesn't do anything for me. And so this is what he said. This is his challenge. Uh, he has learned to say, okay, um, here's what I want you to do. I want you to look at your phone usage. See how much you're using your phone. Okay, now, we, we've established something by doing that, and that is you do have time to do homework, okay? You can't tell me you don't have time. So, so here's the challenge. Take your phone, uh, set your timer for 15 minutes, and put your phone face down. And, and then he writes this. Then I advise saying um, for them to say this week's U.S. history key terms aloud and reciting their definitions. Or it could be making flashcards or seeing if you can put the key terms into a story. Maybe making a timeline to arrange the ideas. I promise them that they'll think their phone broke and that it's been at least 45 minutes of endless studying, but they'll flip it back over and check the timer and it will say eight minutes left. 
<laughs> but it turns out lots of kids try it and slowly build their concentration from 15 to 20 to 30 minutes and so on. And then he writes this. Because he says they actually learn how to study because studying isn't so much about your method as it is about giving something your full attention. And friends, trials is God's method of getting our attention. Trials and suffering is, is the tool that God uses. The suffering of this world is that which God can use to get our attention and to exercise a spiritual muscle in us that can't be exercised in any other time. Uh, he, he writes this, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you face trials of many kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. The Greek word there for steadfastness is uh, epimone. It means perseverance, the capacity to continue to bear up under difficult circumstances. And the only way to get that muscle, the only way to get steadfastness, where, where you can persevere, where the winds are coming against you, like Hurricane Ida against a concrete you know, building that is just firm and solid, the only way you can develop that muscle is to go through something. You cannot get it any other way. And friends, I can tell you right now, God has been working spiritual muscles in my life through the suffering of my mother, even just this trip alone, waking up in the middle of the night at the hotel in Napa, uh, tormented at times by the thought of her being in this psychiatric, you know, geriatric psychiatric unit, thinking about all the things that could be, and yet having to remind myself that God is in control, that, that, that God is using this, that God is doing something, that this is not purposeless. You see, suffering and trials bring a kind of clarity. It really brings life into focus. It takes all the trivial stuff away, and you've got to deal with reality. And it really comes to you, and it's asking you, what do you really believe, preacher? Well, what do you really stand on? What is the DNA? Are you really born of God? Do you really have God's DNA in you? Do you really have his life in you? Then if you do then you can see that there is hope because I'm a God that you can trust. I'm a God that you don't just have hold of, but he has hold on me. So whereas both the Christian and the non-Christian experience unspeakable trials, the Christian in the midst of it can say, but yes, I'm suffering, I'm experiencing great loss, but there's purpose to it. But what is the purpose for those that don't hope in Christ? That's really the challenge of those that may not believe here this morning. The more you strip away from me, and I'm seeing it over and over again, the more you strip away from me, the more of Jesus, not that I get, but I experience. Because you can't, the only way to experience Jesus is if both hands are on him. <laughs> and you realize that his both hands are on you. And so the wise man, um, the kind of the kind of wisdom that God gives sees values and trials, but secondly, the wise man knows where to go for it. He knows where to go for wisdom. If God uses trials to produce steadfastness, then He must first use them to reveal the areas that we are not steadfast, and that's what He's doing. He's got to see where the weakness is, or He's got to expose to me where my weakness is. He's got to show me where the, the muscles of faith need to, to be strengthened because I've never used them before. 
And that's what he's doing in our lives. And if God is doing anything in my life through the pandemic and all the things that, that are, are swirling around, it is this fact of he is, he is exposing, he's putting bright lights on my need for control, and he is just wearing it down. He, he is reminding me over and over that indeed I don't have control. I have no control over a pandemic. I have no control over my mother's dementia and my mother and stepfather's financial situation. I don't have control over this country and, and how it treats my African-American brothers and sisters and my Asian brothers and sisters. I have no control, and I can fight for justice, and I can, I, I can stand up, I can seek the best care for my mother, but at the end of the day, I have only one place to go, and that's God. And that is where we have it. Psalm 62, this has been my cry. For God alone my soul waits in silence. From him comes my salvation. He is my rock. He, he, he is my salvation. He is my fortress. I will not be greatly shaken. And that's where I have to go in the, midst, in the middle of the night. That's where I have to go in the middle of the day. But I love this psalm because it, it gets to reality. That's where I may start the day. But then we read verses 5 through 7. For God alone, O oh my soul, wait in silence. Do you see that little twist? For God alone, my soul waits. Here I am. I'm right before God. But by about, about midday or maybe a few minutes in, for God, I've got to preach it to myself. For God alone, O oh my soul, wait in silence. He only, or my hope comes from him. He is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be shaken. On God rests my salvation and my glory. My mighty rock, my refuge is God. I have to preach that to my heart. And dear friends, you do too. But that is where uh, suffering, that is where trials are to take us. More and more to the foundation of God. C.S. Lewis um, diagnosed the problem really of um, uh, uh, the, the generations before us. But this is what he said. He said, of old, the cardinal problem of human life was how to conform the soul to the objective reality, and the solution was wisdom, discipline, and virtue. But for the modern mind, the cardinal problem is how to subdue reality to our wishes, and the solution is a technique. This is brilliant. This was written in the 40s or 50s, and he's showing there that that what we do in our culture, in modern culture, what we do is we are not trying to basically go to God's Word and go to the, the foundation of truth and reality, but we want truth and reality to conform to us. And, and primarily, and especially here um, in, in San Francisco, he uses the word technique, but what he's really talking about is technology. That, that we want, um, we're trying to get, the cardinal problem is how to subdue reality to our wishes and the solution is technology. And if we haven't learned it by now, then surely we, we've got to admit that technology has overpromised and underdelivered. I mean, even the, the technology, the worldwide effort to produce a vaccine is amazing. It's a story that we'll be revisiting over and over again. But now we've seen, okay, the vaccine slowed it down, but then it just started, other variants started. We don't have the technology to, to make a uh, diseaseless world. 
there will always be something that threatens us. And so we have to find a hope that is above that. And that is what, um, that is what we as Christians must do. Uh, Eugene Peterson put it this way, the way of Jesus cannot be imposed or mapped. It's not just this predictable thing. Okay, I receive Jesus and my life becomes easy. No, it requires an active participation in following Jesus as he leads us through sometimes strange and unfamiliar territory in circumstances that become clear only in the hesitations and questionings, in the, the pauses and the reflections where we engage in prayerful conversation with one another and with him. So where do we go for this wisdom? James says in, in verse 1, excuse me, verse, verse 5 of chapter 1, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. But he is not telling us to go to God once. It's not this transactional thing. Go to God, put in the quarter, and he gives you wisdom. He is talking about a life of asking an ongoing asking. We don't get the kind of wisdom that we will ultimately have until we are in glory. This seeking wisdom is an ongoing reality. Proverbs 2, 6 through 7 points to this. For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. He stores up wisdom for the upright. But friends, that wisdom has to be asked for. It's in those quiet moments where you're sitting with God. For me, it was I had to have a 30-minute drive to uh, my mother's apartment and going to my mother's apartment, coming back from my mother's apartment, leaving that hospital after checking her in, processing, asking God, I know this is not purposeless, but oh, how it hurts so bad. Help me understand. Give me wisdom. Show me where the joy is in all of this. That's how we get wisdom. It's this constant relationship that we are going back to God, that we are processing in His presence, that we are spending deep time in His Word, listening to Him and meditating on His Word and letting Him speak to us, letting God's Word read us, not just us reading it, but let it read us and, and that we might hear from God and might receive wisdom to take that next step. It's not seeing necessarily how it's all going to work out but it's seeing that it is going to work out. Not because of me, not because of technology, not because of how, you know, how um, ingenious I can become and, and finding answers, but because I have a God who is reigning over whatever we are facing. And then thirdly, the wise man knows maybe where not to go. This passage is so, it's just so brilliant in this way. It tells us where not to go in two places that we typically want to go. Either we want to go to wealth, oh, money will solve it. Money brings a lot of comfort. Or we go to blaming God. We go to unbelief. I can't trust him. He's turned his back on me, so I'm just going to walk away. So we either go to money or we either go to um, um, unbelief. Well, let's look at money first. Tim Keller was a uh, preacher um, in New York. I'm sure you, most of you have heard him, but uh, he was commenting on a sermon by Jonathan Edwards, and, and this is what he said. He said, this is basically what Edwards was saying in his sermon. The number one trial or difficulty is prosperity. Let that sit in a minute. The greatest trouble is to have no trouble. The greatest spiritual trial is to have no trial. 
the greatest spiritual struggle is to have no struggle. This is exactly what James is saying. St. Bernard put it like this, to see a man humble under prosperity is the greatest rarity in the world. And James put it like this, let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation, because like a flower of the grass he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass. Its flower falls and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. Brilliant teaching. Whereas the rich man continually lives under the illusion that he has control. Because as I saw in Napa, you can, you can buy a lot of control or at least illusion of control. You can buy a lot of comfort. You can, you can insulate your life from a lot of suffering, but not all of it. And, what, and, and especially death, and that's what James is pointing to. Like a flower of the grass, you're just going to fade away and so are your money. It's going to go probably to children or relatives that don't appreciate it and don't appreciate you. That's the end of your journey. You may think that you have purpose. You may think that you have power and control, but you don't. That's what, and yet all of us want to pine away for money, thinking, even as believers, that that will bring us the kind of life that we really want. And James says, no, it's not. Why? Because the poor man gets it. He has the clarity of mind to know that that is a sham. He has the clarity of mind to know that only God can give me what I really want. Only God can give me what I really need. What are you tethering your heart to? That, that's what, that is what suffering is getting at. That's the, answer, that's the question that God is asking us in the midst of our suffering. United States of America, you know, San Francisco, Richard Reeves individually, what are you tethering your heart to? If it's not Jesus and Jesus alone, if it's not God and God alone, you will be let down. That's the reality. That's what uh, this, this passage is telling us. Jesus told us, I've said to you these things to you that in me you may have peace, but in the world you're going to have tribulation, you're going to have suffering, but take heart, I've overcome the world. You see, Jesus even told us that's where we're going to be. And yet, oftentimes, you know, I know for me over the last, I can't tell how many times my stepfather has asked me, Richard, what is God's purpose in this dementia? It is the cruelest thing. It's, it's absolutely devastating to watch somebody you love literally slowly over weeks, over months, over years vanish and become somebody that you can't even recognize. It is excruciating excruciating what is the purpose what is the wh where is the joy in all of this and you got to remember that hey Jesus said this world in this world you're going to have tribulation it's not we can't go and say well he's not loving you know because I'm suffering no he told me it was going to be hard but he said but behold I've overcome the world there's hope beyond and that's where we have to go we also um, can't say that, you know, God is giving me this to somehow destroy me. Verses 13 through 15. Let no one say when he's tempted, I'm being tempted by God. 
For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when, when he's lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And uh, sin, when it's fully grown, brings forth death. The Greek word there for tempt is the same as trials. Trials are a kind of temptation. Um, and yet we can't say that it's God somehow being cruel, um, trying to get us off track, but in fact what God is doing is trying to get us on track. He's trying to remind us where our hope lies, remind us what we can truly trust, remind us of a real view of life is not, hey, happiness is all that matters and it all works out in the end, but it's Jesus will come back and usher in the new heaven and the new earth for his kingdom and establish his kingdom on this earth. And we can live for that, but not the shifting sand of happiness, not the shifting sand of wealth, not the shifting sand of even our own health, but we can live for the reality that, that God is at work even in the midst of our pain. And, and if we deny that, then we have to look at Jesus. Because do you think Jesus didn't suffer? As God himself, sweating drops of blood the night before he was to receive uh, hell and the punishment of hell, um, he is suffering tremendously, but he's doing so out of love that we might not ever uh, experience what it's like to be truly forsaken by the Father. He was forsaken that we might never be forsaken by God. And then fourthly and very quickly, the wise man knows his trials are going somewhere. I love the Olympics. The Summer Olympics are my favorite, uh, even though we lived in Colorado and I love the snow ski and all the winter sports, but, uh, but I love track and field because I feel like it's the, purest, it's the purest sport. It's you on the starting line looking at that finish line. And you have been training all your life. You, you think about those Olympians. They've been training all their lives to stand on that line, to kneel on that line, to put their, their fingers down on that line, and to hear that gun and to head for the finish line. Everything in their lives has been um, gearing toward this moment to go as fast as they can, to not be distracted. Not, nobody starts the race looking like this or looking like this. They're looking straight to the finish line. Why? Because that is what you have to do to get there the fastest. And that's precisely what James is saying. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life which God has promised to those who love him. Dear friends, there is no hope like the Christian hope because what we see forward is not some alternate state that we can experience but it's everything good that we've ever experienced in this life. It is God just giving us through his creation, through relationships, um, um, giving us just a small taste of the final picture of reality that is glory, that we prayed, that we said that's what we want more than anything is the glory of God. That is glory. It's like my wife and I being in Napa. You may experience this all the time, but we are sitting in a vineyard drinking unbelievable wine made just for us for this moment, looking at the, the rows of vines and the beauty of the day, getting out of the humidity of the south, oh, and, and, and just sitting there, and I can sit there and say this is just a small taste of the glory 
that my God has for me in the future. Yes, because I will sit in glory. And, and Jesus said, oh, you just wait. We will drink again in the new heaven and the new earth. That is the glory of what we're about to drink here. This is just a taste of something that is going to go on forever. And the wine at the best winery in Napa will not be able to touch the fellowship and the joy and the love of the one who is at the table with us whose name is Jesus. That is the beauty. That is the hope of Christianity. That indeed, we will have a crown of life, but the crown of life is just the reality of being in his presence, the one who loves us, who has, who, uh, has endeared his heart to us that we might endear our hearts to him and find life because he is the way, truth, and life. So dear friends, if that is your hope, set your eyes firmly on Christ. He is at work in your life. He may be stripping some things away, but oh, whatever he strips away, he's going to leave you what is best, and that's Jesus. If you're not a believer, might you consider that? At least take that next step and, and go to Chris, go to others in this church and say, hey, I want to talk about that. I want to process a little more. Don't leave the church. Uh, we're, we're not telling you right now you have to decide. We're saying stay here and keep processing and keep um, rehearsing these realities with believers around you and see if indeed it does not hold water and if it doesn't give you the life that you've been made for. Pray with me. Lord God, thank you. Thank you for the hope that we have in you. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that I can, that I can know right now beyond a shadow of a doubt that the suffering that I experience and the suffering that I know um, my brothers and sisters here experience is not without purpose. Oh, would you grant us wisdom? Help us to see. Strip away the things that we don't need that we might hold on to that which we do, namely Jesus. Would you, by your Spirit, produce that in this body? Bless redemption. Bless this church body. Give them hope. May they be different. May indeed they be that, that, that new taste of the, the new heavens and the new earth, the, uh, the first creation, if you will. Lord God, bless my brothers and sisters here. And God, draw those that are skeptical and, and still processing through all of this that is Christianity. Lord, um, might you even give them faith today. Open their hearts to you, to the love that is eternal, the love that is unrivaled. We pray in Jesus' name.